Here we go. Anna one, Anna two, Anna three. Hi, this is Enrique Granados, FC Dallas fan and OG Burn fan since 1998, otherwise known as since I was born. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Be sure to check out the new arrivals landing daily now through June. New Club America, PSG, FC Bayern, and more in stock now. And remember, when you shop Soccer90.com as a listener of Third Degree, you receive 20% off your order when you use the promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Number, please. 163. Are you sure about that? Uh, no. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you were confident about it or <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, I'm confident. Yeah, you're the you're keeping track of this, not me. Yeah. Hi, it is uh, myself, Peter. Good to speak with you again. And as always, my two buddies are also here with me on this internet talking machine. First, Dan Crook. Have the heels wound? Have the oh wait? Have the Wounds he what am I saying? My I you're listening no live this is live audio to a man's brain melting down. Sorry. Let me do that again. Wow, that's weird. Hey Dan, are the wounds healing from last week's Luton catastrophe? Are we are we doing this now? Uh yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh <laughs> No, that'll, that'll take a while. Uh, I must say, I must commend you on that uh, interesting Latka meets Minnesota resident voice that you did just before we uh, started. That oh, was you like it? Yeah, that was I was, I was mashing up accents for you. I'm glad you like that. And your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, the amazing editor, founder of Third Degree, Third Degree.net. Wow. I can't talk to him. Good Lord, yeah. what's happened to me? Professional <laughs> broadcaster. If, yeah. if you don't see me again after this podcast, you know that I just passed out here in my house and died. Uh, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Calling in today from the penalty box because uh, last week I did a a burn, one of my burns on the uh, for the Patreons, where I talked about how I was starting to believe in this team and feeling really mm. good about it, and then they proceeded mm. to lose two straight. So it's pretty much my fault. My fault. Gee, my bad. Your fault. You yeah. are. You get the suspension. Yes. Yeah. Buzz. Here we are. We've oh. been feeling good, kind of uh, feeling our oats, but now we're on a defeated streak of two straight. Also, yeah. not only is it the third loss of the season, two in a row. But now the team has given up four goals in two games. We've never seen them do that, Buzz. What is going on? But here's my question. Here's yeah. what here, here's what I want to know. How much of this has to do with other teams? Because this is just my eyeball test. What I seem to look at the Minnesota game was here's another team that seems to be finding success just parking itself in the middle of the field and not allowing Dallas to really do anything it's good at. So is it that A or is it B with some of these kind of weird starting 11s that Nico's throwing out there of late? Uh, it's both, actually, I think. Well, you can also compound it with a little bit of, um, well, I hate to say complacency because I think that's not right. Too many games um, in a sh too short yeah, a time? It could be. could be overload. could be, you know, when you have these shifting formations, you get people a little out of sorts and that kind of thing, or maybe there's a level of confidence that's starting to roll, and maybe that sometimes gets you in trouble. Now, 100% now we're seeing the teams have the most success with a mid-block sort of look and making Dallas go over the top. Dallas is built and not built to play that way. Um, O'Brien can do that, but nobody else up front really can do that. I mean, Jesus does on the counter, but it's not the same thing. This team is built to uh, progress through the middle, to line break, um, and you compound Minnesota deciding to kind of go that route defensively, but also something I, I did in my three things was this, because you rotated the, the same, a certain group of people, which was Brandon Cervania, who's a better progressive passer than Siki, 
and he rested Edwin. Well, not rested. Flacco's just been outplaying him, but Flacco's a worse progressive passer than Edwin. And he took out Jesus. And Jesus, as we know, well, his strongest suit as an off striker, which he, Nico didn't like. He likes the term build striker, but that underlines the point that he's part of the line breaking. Jesus is. Um, when you had those three guys rotated or benched, whichever you prefer, um, you compounded it with a team that played in the middle. They spent the whole first half basically trying to play over the top. So O'Brien had some moments and looked pretty decent for a little bit there, but everybody else didn't. You know, it was a problem. Um, and so th- I think that's something that Dallas is going to have to learn to deal with. Maybe be careful with who you rotate at the same time, but also you're going to have to learn an alternative because if, if teams are going to deny you the middle build through and they had plenty of chances created, but they were, they were, they were chances created in a sort of an old school way with crosses and balls into the box that were sort of um, a horizontal rather than the usual sort of dribbling and splitting kind of they've been doing. So uh, there's a work in product progress that needs to happen here with learning how to pl- a be successful at the different methodology, but also how to uh, combat this mid block when it comes. Dan, uh, am I wrong in in observing that I felt like the team that we saw out against Minnesota looked an awfully weird, a lot like an old Lucci team? Yep. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, creating chances, not finishing them. I had nine missed shots in the box. That's that's insane. Um, from you know, uh, yeah. How much of that was horror, though? That's the thing I was. Horror like, had horror had five of those. Uh, there was a good good amount that was horror. Uh, what bugged me was just like last season, everything was. You you watch substitutions. You were like, "This is a little late," and why are you doing that? And it was exactly the same. You took, you know, um, for, for a start, you rest um, Jesus. Hyra's having a decent game. He's pressing people. He's not really, you know, contributing as much to the attack as you'd like. So you leave him in and take off Siki and Sembling, who at that point had created more opportunities than anyone else um, to push Paxton back as a deep line eight and bring Jesus, the guy that finishes chances on, as a 10 to create more chances because chance creation was the issue, not actually executing those. I mean, it just, you know, everything kind of seemed off, even to the point where 10 minutes to go, you're chasing the game and you're like, okay, I'm going to switch my right back out for another right back. Just that light for light swap that was so maddening last year. There's a lot to unpack in there, but Buzz, the one thing that I just, and I want to give him credit for trying hard. I want to give him credit for uh, appearing to care and being a good leader and maybe a mentor to some of the other Argentinians. But Frank O'Hara's skill set on the field is starting to approach Christian Coleman territory in terms of its absolute worthlessness. Yeah, Coach even talked today on the media call um, about you know, those are some chances that Hara usually buries in training, you know, which is obviously that's where you worry that you, you when a guy starts missing goals in games, is he going to compound it uh, with, you know, mentally? Um, My only sort of thought is that I think coach notes knows he basically needs Frank O'Hara still, you know, there's not other than Jesus, there's not really anybody else that can play that spot. You know, we saw a little bit of Benny, the Benny Regic experiment, (laughs) which is not, Look, you know, Benny's got some potential, but he's not ready to be carrying a load by any means. He's going to be getting garbage minutes if he gets anything, right? This was his debut in a league game. It's not, it's, you know, so he basically has Franco and that's it. You know, and there's going to be, I assume, there's going to be some times down the stretch when you're not going to have Jesus. There will be some international games. I, I, I probably, I haven't looked at the calendar, but I'm assuming there'll be some international games where there'll be a conflict and Dallas will be playing because they don't take off every international break. So I think he knows that he needs to have Franco still going. So if he yanks hard after he misses two, that might not go real well. That, that's the only thing I can think of, because I agree with you that the only guy that's really clinically efficient thing, and Siki can, can progress, but he progresses by dribbling, which is a totally different type than the progression by passing. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen more of a two-striker system there rather you know, with putting Jesus up high and finding somebody else 
that could come in and be progressive, like Brandon, for example, you know, or 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 maybe Thomas even at that point, rather than just sticking Jesus in the midfield, because I'd hate to go back to the band-aid of Jesus is my best player, stick him wherever I have a problem. So now he's in the midfield that we saw that that's a Luciism. We don't that was one of the things we were most critical of him on, which is that academy mentality of stick your best player wherever you need him. We don't want that. So it's definitely a concern. And we definitely, you know, if Frank O'Hara goes cold, it's going to be a problem. He doesn't have to score a you lot. You mean if Jesus goes cold? Well, uh, yeah. Well, if Jesus goes cold, that's a real problem. But I if mean, Frank O'Hara has gone cold. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is you, uh, what I mean is like you got to hope that they can get him back going because if, ah. you don't need him to carry the load, but you need him on some amount. He needs to be able to come in late and contribute or spell Jesus for a start. And if you can't, then you're going to have a big problem and you're going to, you're going to draw points, which is exactly what happened. They draw points at home when you shouldn't. And it's because the guy went cold and because the keeper made a couple of mistakes. And Dan, I'm sure Dan will talk about that later, but um, you know, overall the defense is still pretty good. If the offense goes sour, either by resting a guy or somebody not getting it done mentally or whatever, then that's a problem. Uh, it's a, it was a frustrating game to watch because again, much like the other games, they've been, they're allowed to possess the ball a lot. Uh, but I, I am, I am mystified by what's going on in the midfield with, with the coach's decision to start in Zebling, not start Cervania, uh, Faco over, uh, Cerio and, and tearing up this, this trio of the homegrowns that was working so well and I don't seem to recall what the reasoning was that he stopped using that. Well, um, sometimes as a coach, you have to reward individuals for continued playing time if they do really good things. And you, if Edwin has a off game or two and Faco comes in and plays really well, you kind of had to let him keep going. You know, and then it happens to coincide with Brandon having his red card problem and Siki coming in and playing pretty well. Now, I I think, for my money, both Edwin and Brandon are better than Faco and and Sebling. But you you also can't kill your locker room and underline your, your locker room. We've gone over this before with other coaches in the past when you've been like, why is that dude keeping his spot? And it's like, well, you know, a he scored a goal maybe, or he played really well. You know, so sometimes you almost have your hand tied in a lot of ways when two guys come in out of necessity and they both do fairly well. You know, it's hard to just immediately yank those guys. Now, I wanted Paxton to have a game off because he played midweek and he played the weekend before. And then he proceeded to have a man of the match stunning performance in in this Minnesota game. Whereas in the midweek game, he was horrible. So it's like, I, I don't, you know, maybe it was just the turf up there in Vancouver that caused him to be so bad. I, I wouldn't think so because he should be used to it because of playing in the academy. But um, he's definitely got, there's definitely for me some things happening that were related to workload management and rotation management that kind of has, that everybody in the league is going through right now because of this heavy current load. And there's just some stumbles happening, you know, from lots of teams that are good that you wouldn't have expected to lose, et cetera. You know, the window's coming, not the window, excuse me, the international break's coming at a good time for all these teams, really. And and hopefully, hopefully when they come out of the backside of the uh, international window, that uh, uh, Coach Nico will feel like his team has been refreshed and hopefully trained up enough that he can go back to what is like his primary 11, one hopes. We'll see. Dan, in your uh, your kind of review of the game, you took uh, a lot of time to talk about the two goals and laying the blame largely at the return of Martin Paz, um, who didn't cover himself in glory in either one of those instances. Uh, it, I I get. I'm just assuming that's just rust that he collect. I know. Like, how does the guy go from being so awesome to rusty in the course of a week? I don't. That seems a little weird to me. Um, actually. You know, I kind of thought he was unlucky. Uh, it, it was... I, I, we had a chance to go back to the locker rooms uh, for the first time in, you know, a few years now at this point. So, uh, you know, I want to take a chance to talk to him and just, you know, kind of get his his opinion on how the goals went. Um, the On first glance, you know, the, the free kick just looks like a massive blunder. And he started talking about, you know... I, you know, I, I should have set a five-man wall instead of a four-man wall. 
but the 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 deflection and I'm saying I'm like, I'm saying I'm like what deflection so you know as soon as I get home pull up a replay and yeah sure is enough yeah came uh, off areola yeah and you can I think in the I clipped the video and freeze framed it and he's already leaning to where the ball's about to go and he makes a great recovery to even get something on it but um in that position he gets enough that you want him to cover that ball uh to you know to to be all, all over it and not allow a rebound um and the second one the second one's indecision on his part um i i i get what he was looking for um fragapane kind of dummied the ball pretty uh close to the six yard box and he was he was waiting to see if there was any contact if he's going to divert the ball maybe like uh i mean ptsd is not the right term but you know kind of with that first goal uh, firmly in his mind, probably thinking, I need to account for like the last-minute touch. Um, yeah, it's rough, uh, but they, they race out to two goals, and, and FC Dallas has just spunk in chances away at that point. Is there any uh, reason or fairness to uh, give Emma a little bit of uh, uh, a point? Take a look at Emma's situation, because he doesn't... He, he doesn't did not track Robin Ludd on the rebound. Right, he doesn't track, and he's also in the wrong position on Raw. He's behind him. It shouldn't he be goal side of him to kind of prevent that exact scenario? I mean, you'd hope so. I know, like, I know he tends to give he he tends to let attackers cheat a little bit because he's quick. But yeah, okay. I don't know, and I mean, it was it's weird to see Obreon was the guy like making the lung busting run back to try and clear it as well. You, you'd expect anyone but him. Yeah, well, it was two. Uh, yeah, it was two weird goals, uh, and it certainly felt like it was coming out against the run of play. It was just a weird game all the way around, and and I. And it is one of those deals where I think a lot of people watch and went, "Well, the team didn't play that poorly." Yeah. I, I don't know, Buzz. I, I, where where where's your what's the buzzo meter? Yeah, it, pegging at these days, right? The goals against were. I mean, that's the thing is the whole thing is just a little bit of like, well, here's a tiny little thing that went wrong. Here's a little thing that went wrong. Here's a little thing that went wrong, and all of a sudden you lose. You know, it's like I don't I don't put a lot of it on pause, but if that rebound goes wide instead of straight back out, it's not a goal. You know, it's. I've, I even coach said something about, uh, you know, on both goals, the keeper could have done a little bit better. I mean, he didn't throw him under the bus, but it's like little bitty things add up. You know, he did specifically talk about, um, you know, again, their defense provided very few opportunities from the run of play. Um, you know, pointing out that they've given up 12 goals, which is still, by the way, the best in the West. And half of those goals are either PKs or set plays. So clearly, there's some things that, that they've identified that they want to try and clean up even more. And he talked about um, the goals they've given up from crosses too. So crosses, you remember, was the thing that was a problem last year uh, mm -hmm. that they worked on getting out on, on guys. So, um, you know, overall, you still, for me, overall, I think you're still looking at a team that's, that's you know, how many times do we talk about sometimes you have to toss out the goals and just analyze the way they play? Uh, they limited the other team to relatively few chances and rel relatively few low scoring opportunities. Dallas themselves created a whole bunch of scoring opportunities and were inefficient. And we've talked all year about how efficient they've been. And, and if Jesus got cold, well, he wasn't in the game. And it was equivalent to Jesus getting cold in the sense that Hara was cold, you know, and, and didn't finish well. So lot, lot, lots of little bitty things that you want to be worried about, but nothing, nothing is like making me panic in terms of like, it's only the third loss of the year, and it's the first one at home, and and, and there's a car outside that's really loud, and you maybe <laughs> can't hear that. But <laughs> you know, so, so there, there, I felt like when I watched this game, I felt like there was there was like five or six small little things that any one of them would have changed the game completely, and, and I didn't feel like I felt like the Vancouver game was much worse actually than this one, strangely, and I and I actually thought the Vancouver game wasn't bad, you know, so. Uh, an unlucky couple of games, really. Hopefully, that's just a you know little funk. All right, can I uh, can I reintroduce a, a a fan loathed segment of the pod? Oh yeah, sure. I love fan loathed segments. Uh, this is uh, everybody's worst and ha most hated segment. Pessimistic Peter. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. All right. So I was thinking about this because I always love to look at form, and I and and this really hit me when I saw another result 
from Saturday night. So you've got the two straight losses in a row, which are also banged up with uh, giving up two goals in each of those games. They hadn't, they'd only given up two goals in one game once all season. And then you're like, yeah, but Peter, they beat L.A. in L.A., and they did it in the most majestic style. And you thought that was a really big deal until you realized Houston went to L.A. and beat them even worse than Dallas did. Yeah. And then you're like, well, they beat Seattle, and they beat them, and they kept it. And I was like, yeah, but do you remember how that Seattle game went down? Do you remember how terrible the team looked through the first half playing against a bunch of scrubs only to kind of pull it out in the in the in the second half of the game. And so when I'm thinking about this, and then you go to the the tie in Kansas City, uh, and then you you've got a streak of five games where maybe the form of the team is starting to um, uh, fall back to the mean, if you know what I'm saying, in terms of expectations. Because I you know I do think this team has exceeded our expectations for most of the season, and what we're seeing is maybe a yep. little bit of settling as we uh, go forward. Oh, there's, there's no question. Uh, by the way, Houston's won three or four before you trash them too much. Um, you know, the, the the red flags for me are the 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 qualities in this game that felt Lucci ball ish, and that's that. Minnesota only had seven shots, but six of them were on target, which is, that's a little worrying. You know, granted, I thought, relatively speaking, I thought Tafari and Martinez were, were fine. It's, of course, the missing Matt Hedges factor is always a factor. They're not as good without Hedges. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a worry. And then the other part of the Lucci ball equation is the, what, 68% passing and I'm sorry, a possession, 68% possession. That's insane. And almost 600 total passes to 32% and 300 passes. Well, But yet, trouble breaking down that mid-block and playing a lot over the top and a lot of crosses. Again, that the game felt like Lucci ball. So a little bit of a regression, as you pointed out at the start of the show, why did it feel like last year? Because it did. You know, it's without Hedges, it feels like that a lot. And without Jesus being hot... Or, or looking back to last year when Pepe got cold or when Frank O'Hara had to play a lot. You know, so a, a lot of those vibes just snuck through and, and you get a team that's not as good as it has been. So, yeah, there's some tiny little red flags for sure. I, Pastor Peter, I think you're legitimately right to be, you know, slightly worried. So the question becomes, how much confidence do we have from this coaching staff that what we've seen this year uh, and so far, uh, in my experience, particularly when they have a week of training, they've been able to adjust to these deficiencies that are arising and compensate for them and, and fix them. So they've had a couple of stretches here now without any training. Having the full week of training this week, having actually time to work on some of these issues, you know, we get to watch them go to Orlando this weekend. Orlando actually has a midweek game, so Dallas will have the chance to not 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 rest up people, but sort of train through some of these issues, get their first 11, hopefully back to what the coach feels is more likely his first 11, um, chance to tweak some of these mistakes. And, and one of the fun things for me will be, and I'm putting air quotes around fun, is is when you go into the next game and see if some of these fixes have been adjusted. We, we get to see our old friend Poppy too, of course, which is always nice, but um, you see if they've identified some of these issues and come up with a a fix for some of these issues, which so far this year they've always done. So um, that'll actually be something fun, fun for this weekend. All right. You actually mentioned something that I uh, is going to take us to some off the field discussion quickly um, that I want to bring up, which is the idea that Nico gets back to his best starting 11. And that of course uh, raises the question about where in the world Alan Velasco is. Because I think there's a lot of questions to be asked about what in the world is going on with Velasco in this moment, because unlike Paz and Martinez, who all at the same time, along with Velasco, had fallen into the health and protocol um, uh, situation where they missed uh, the game prior in Vancouver, uh, those two guys, not Velasco, came back and played in this game. Velasco was still, for whatever reason, I don't. Was it ever disclosed that he just continued to test positive? Is that what it was? The only disclosure is the John Arnold report that he was positive. I've not seen that anywhere else, and the team won't mention that specifically. Okay. So then, my question is: the if only in thing fact the team said is he's still in health and safety protocol. Okay. So if that's the case, can somebody explain to me why Alan Velasco is at the stadium? One, 
two at the stadium, not wearing a mask. Not a, not that I'm a big mask guy, but there's two. And then three, why is he part of a group of people that confronted the guy in the Tigris jersey that was giving <laughs> Frank O'Hara all that shit? Uh, and I and like, am I right to be confused as to what in the world is going on here? Well, uh, conspiracy theories aside, I will try and parse out what hypothetically could lead to. Uh, that's that that confluence of events. And let me first say that this is 100% speculation on my end. I do not know. But given what I know about how the protocols work from my work in media, I can try and I think parse it. And you will remember that the first two guys to show up on the health and safety protocol were Paz and Martinez. Now, they came back fast enough. I assume they had an exposure and then didn't test positive, but had to be out for the exposure. Again, this is just hypothetical on my part. Shortly after they went onto the list, Alan Velasco had that little face mask tweet that he later deleted, and then he showed up on the day of the game as being out. And then John Arnold reported that he was, in fact, positive. So my completely fabricated assumption is that Martinez and Paz were never positive. And so they had to do their five days and then they were continued to test negative and were released back to play. Velasco being positive had to go the full 10, perhaps even was cleared of protocol on the morning of the game. But at that point he hasn't trained all week and it's too late to put him back in and coach is not likely to put him back in without any training anyway. So He's now cleared, so he's st- sitting in the stands doing whatever he's doing. So that's the way I can, I can reconcile in my head the timeline as it is. Is that timeline accurate? That I just, is that scenario I, I discussed accurate? I have no clue. Mm-hmm. It's just that's the way in my brain I can make it work to my logical satisfaction. Other than, of course, your uh, uh, conspiracy theory that he wants to go home. You know, which is, of course, entirely as equally as possible as my conspiracy theory that lays well, out a timeline for you. <laughs> well, I would say that at least him uh, actually being present in the stadium and confronting angry fans yeah. uh, at least tells us he's not home in Argentina seeing his amigos, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least we know he's still in town, so that's good to know. I just, uh, I just assume it's like the idea that if he was on protocol up until the very last minute, then he was not allowed to train. And if you're not training with the team, you're not playing. That's how okay. that goes. All know. right. Uh, Dan, since I brought it up, and um, I'm not, not one to shine a light on people who are acting poorly, but it, it was a talking point after the game. There was a confrontation between some of the players and a fan who is, am I correct, he sits over by the uh, supporters groups and he wears a Tigris jersey? Is that what it is? Do you know any of this? Supposedly he's a season ticket holder, uh, or as somebody on the staff said to me, was. Um, oh, he's not now. I mean, he he, he is, but I, you've surely the guy's got to get banned for for that. Well, how? Okay, um, tell. I don't even know what he did. Oh, so towards the end of the game, he's uh, screaming at Hara. Um, screaming that he he doesn't try that he has no balls or this whatever else Um, the funny part was at the end of the game when Dane Sinclair's taking forever to get a ball over from the sideline Hara sprints past him and grabs the one behind the 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 goal uh, Mm -hmm. puts it down Dane Sinclair gets the uh, gets the yellow card for time wasting at that point the guy's like right in front of Hara so he's like really screaming at him uh, that's when I started to notice it from the press box, um, you know, and Hara's sort of like shouting back and, and getting back to play. And then, uh, yeah, whistle goes a couple minutes later, Go, they start clapping around the stadium and that guy's joining again. Um, security does absolutely jack shit, obviously. Um, you know, uh, you've got the likes of Edwin Cerillo, run into uh to Hara's aid and Velasco worships the ground he walks on so naturally he's he's there in front of everything um people who were there said you know people said um that this guy had done the same thing in the supporter section for the Austin game was just try is just he's a troublemaker is he yeah, drunk when he's, is, it, is he just a drunk oh yeah yeah ah, yeah, okay. yeah just a drunk guy who tries to be Billy Big Spuds and uh, 
if security had led him out a different way. He that was my nickname in high school, by the way, Billy Bakes Butts. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> well, the, uh, well, sorry, so, Dan, finish it up. <laughs> no, no, that was it. I mean, there's some video of it. You can you can see it. Yeah, on I've seen media. I've seen a couple of videos, and it just looks like a guy heckling the 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 players. I, he doesn't look like he's throwing anything or in, instigating a fight of any sort. He just probably saying some uh, not too kind things to Frank O'Hara. Yeah, so. I think that was kind of the afters of it. But uh, yeah, I would I would take the professional athlete over the uh, the drunk overweight dude. I mean, sure. y- y- yelling at Frank O'Hara for lack of effort is ridiculous. If you want to yell at him for being slower than dirt. I'm on board. If you want to yell at him for poor finishing in this game, okay. But for lack of effort, that's ridiculous, dude. That dude works his tail off in games. That's the main reason why he's still valuable is the amount of work he puts in and the leadership that 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 provides and the the model he sets for other guys in terms of being professional and showing up. Granted, he gets paid a lot of money, but still... It's it's not lack of effort is a joke to be yelling at Frank O'Hara at. That's that's just stupid. All right. Well, thanks for clearing that up, Buzz. I feel better, and uh, uh, hopefully we will see uh, Velasco. I'm assuming Velasco's back starting uh, on uh, on Saturday. Well, you know him and his cryptic tweets. Yesterday he tweeted a soccer ball and a heart, so I took that to mean he's cleared to play and back training. (laughs) Today there was some weird mask. It was like a Japanese devil mask and two fists bumping each other, so I don't know what that means either. Just to to go with... uh, Buzz talking about the timeline. Uh, when I spoke to Martin Paz, you know, he'd said uh, he'd obviously put on social media that he was clear to start training while they were in Vancouver on game day. Uh, he told me that uh, Martinez was cleared the same day and they'd had that week together. So I mean, yeah, they must yeah. have been. That sounds like exposure a- and testing negative to me. Mm. Okay, know, got left behind and then you know didn't you know, didn't wasn't any point in taking them up there midweek when they already had you know everything straightened out or whatever. So. I mean, you probably can't really, <laughs> really yeah. uh, take someone into Canada with uh, after a confirmed exposure. Either. Yeah, probably not. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Buzz, I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about the midfield some more today because yep. in the Discord, a couple of people had asked some questions about the differences between Cervania and Sebling. And then uh, in, in addition to that, <clears throat> and what makes one better than the other, because I think I think the eyeball test for many people, and Zebeling has a very high skill level, uh, uh, and I think people are confused why people are asking why Cervania isn't starting over him. And then in addition to that, uh, the really nice and very, very uh, gratifying stuff that Matt Doyle posted in his kind of weekly review of the games over the weekend, specifically of Paxton. If you yep. haven't read it yet, he's he, he somebody surfaced up a bunch of all you know. They have that second spectrum analytics that they have exclusive access to that we don't get to see that has all sorts of kick-ass analytics in it. Yeah, and and whoever did this for him uh, churned out some really impressive numbers. I mean, I know I can tell that Paxton is playing about as well as anybody in the midfield in the league, just because I've been watching this for a long time, but man, the stats that he pulled out in the article really, really back it up. And I've given you two very big things. So I'll let you figure out how you want to sort that out. Sure. Well, let's talk about an assembling versus Cervania first. Um, Cervania is a, better progressive passer. He, he's capable of passes uh, both just in terms of normal progression, but also passes into the box that, that an assembly can't yet make. Um, he also is better at defensive responsibility, covers sideline to sideline. Now he doesn't have as quick a burst as Nassabling does. So it, it's deceptive, but he does cover a ton of ground because he reads the game better. And now Nassabling is a better dribbler. He's a good progressive dribbler. He will go by guys. He'll go by a lot of guys with the ball at his feet. But then he can't quite play these little rhythmic combinations that Dallas is set up to play. And in particular, you can notice his game-reading deficiencies, which is, by the way, just because he's a rookie, he's making a step up from college, which is a significantly big step up to Major League Soccer. You can see that he's making these reads late because he's often having to chase guys down, which he's perfectly capable of doing, and then fouling people, which is what you don't want. So he's coming in late. He's a split second late at getting balls. And so you're seeing these deficiencies, which are mostly related to experience and how much experience he does and doesn't have. So people want Brandon in there because Brandon 
better fits the style of play that this club is has displayed this year. And other than his double yellow card mind mess up fart, Brandon's been playing the best soccer of his career. He's been playing really, really good. And sometimes the deficiencies Siki has have exposed this team a little bit, particularly because he's on the side with Ima Tomasi. So there's a trouble, troublesome pairing in that sense right there. It gets covered up a lot by Hedges, mm-hmm. and it gets covered up a lot by Faku, who's been behind Nsebling. And that may be an additional contributor to why Faku continues to play as long as keeps continues to play because Faku game reads really well and covers up a lot of that stuff. So there's a lot of mix going into why that might be the case. Before you move on to Paxton, what yeah. I want to know from you is you prefer Servania uh, over Sebeling. I do. Right now, for sure, I do. Now, in the long run, Siki's got a lot of really fantastic attributes that may make a tremendous player. He might actually be more of a Paxton site player than a Brandon site player because of his explosiveness. He can get forward and penetrate uh, both with the ball at his feet, which is really exciting. So if he can learn how to turn that into... Uh, shot creating uh, actions and and key passes, then he'll be a really really exciting player. But that's going to take a lot of time, and the deficiencies defensively are really glaring. If you're watching the game at the broader perspective, uh, you know, like right away the first game he played, he made like four fouls in the first twenty minutes or something. You know, and, and he's gotten slightly better, but it's still not great. It, it just needs a lot of time, and Brandon has a whole lot more experience. So it, it depends on what kind of flavor of midfielder you like. I really think Brandon in the box to box eight role is really, really important um, to the way this team functions. So that's why I prefer Brandon. Okay. Okay. Funny, as for, is, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. I was going to say those two are actually like a perfect example of stats on everything. Like, uh, you know, it's not just a numbers game that the eye test really is yeah. a, a very real thing. Cause, uh, you look at the, the numbers, key passes, passes to the final third passes into the box, uh, shot, creation uh i can't remember what the a stands for they're identical uh, at this point and and Sebeling has played fewer games but you take the context out of it brandon's defensive aspect kind of sharing that load with paxton more uh and the opposition uh the, the flow of the games I mean uh, siki had five uh shot creating ac- actions against minnesota but I mean, the team had 19 attempts they weren't exactly short of chances uh, you know, that you get those people that kind of say, okay, the number is everything. Well, no, it's like you say, there is there is a lot of nuances to it where you see Brandon's kind of superiority. Yeah, the wisdom of the game, control of the game, uh, the ability to work with Paxton specifically, um, you know, all those things lead into why I, I would prefer Brandon in terms of right now if I'm trying to win games. That doesn't mean that I don't think Siki's got a really bright future. I do. And I'm okay with him playing some, I just would have gone back to Brandon for this game in particular because with Faco and Jesus missing, Brandon would have been really nice in terms of his ability to uh, break lines and link and connect that. that, that that's the biggest difference. You know, the siblings uh, progression is all about picking up the ball and running past two guys. But then it's like, then what's he do with it? That's where you, that's where it breaks down is like, is he's getting to the box now? Can he make, as Dan said, against this team, he had some good shot-creating opportunities, but none of them resulted in goals. And and one of the things Coach Nico mentioned on the call today was while on the page it says cross, it's like, was it a good cross? Was the weight good? Was it behind the guy? Was it the guy in the right position? So there's a lot you can't read in the pure numbers sometimes that may or may not contribute to why there's an ability to score, even though there's a bunch of crosses and a bunch of touches in the box. I mean, it's not the same necessarily. That makes sense too. It does. Thank you. Now, yeah. part two. Paxton, part two. Paxton. The amazing yeah. Paxton. Yeah, listen, Paxton is playing some absolutely phenomenal soccer. Now, there have been two games where I thought he looked burnt and he I, I was like, I was wishing he would have gotten a game off. But that's about workload management in terms of I don't want him playing 34 games. You know, like for Paxton to be up there, the max number of games played to me is ridiculous. The guy is so important to this team. He is playing absolutely phenomenal soccer. Box to box, he's as good as it gets in Major League Soccer right now, in my opinion. Now, people are starting to talk about him in the national team. And the thing that will right now, I think, limit his chance in that regard is you have to look at who plays the same position. And you have to think to yourself, who would they drop to bring Paxton in? And you can 
some people mentioned Kellen Acosta. Well, Kellen for for Bearhalter, Kellen's a six mostly. Right. They can yeah. use him as an eight, but mostly he's a six. So you're looking at like Musa, right, or uh, McKinney, or you know, occasionally they even use Gio Reyna or Pulisic as a, a sort of an eight kind of. You know, it, that's the question: is like, are you going to drop Roldan for him? Well, remember that Roldan has been in the national team for a long time. The national team coach has a whole lot of confidence for him and his ability to under pressure, bring him in late games, knows the system, all that kind of stuff. Right this second, is Paxton a better outplaying Roldan? Well, he might be, but Roldan's looking pretty good in the league too. So, again, team building with a national team is just like team building with a pro team. It's not always the it's not it's not an all star team. It's a roster built with pieces. So you have to ask yourself, who is he going to take out to put in Paxton? And they're probably at Paxton being what, 22 now and coming and still not proving that he can stay healthy for more than a, a year and play at this level for more than a year. I have complete faith that eventually Paxton will be in that picture. And that will for sure happen when he gets a little bit more of what I'm going to call jabroinerness. And I've talked to coach Nico about this. When he gets into the box, that tiny little bit that's not there yet, that tiny little messed pass, that tiny little maybe five more feet of running that gets him and some assists and some goals, the little extra something out of midfield. Because when you're talking about tens, which he kind of is in the new world, he's a new world 10, he's a, the free eight as we like to call it. Yes, you have to play box to box, but Paxson also has to be a guy who helps the team get goals, whether it's shot creating actions, whether it's key passes, whether it's actual assists and whether it's goals himself. He continues to improve in this area and every game he looks a little better. A matter of fact, that was the reason I made him the man of the match against Minnesota was because I thought it was the best game all year in terms of that part, that little extra, that getting in there and almost getting, you know, the fact that Haro, whoever else didn't finish it for him, you know, he could have had a couple of assists, I thought, based on the way he played. So I just think the window for him to get into this World Cup is very, very, very small. And he could do it. Possibly uh, he could yeah. do it based on the way he's playing. Man, he's playing out of his mind right now. So good. Yeah. Stay healthy and keep doing this. But man, that window is so small for Bearhalter to change his roster at this point, right? I mean, there's not much time left to drop somebody who's a key player and bring in somebody who you've never had the Paxton's had what one game and like one training and then he got hurt with the national team. It's like, you just be patient. It'll come. Well, I think a lot of people are disappointed that he didn't get called up for this window four game window that had some friendlies in it. We're maybe just trying him out, but I, yeah. Tyler at Tyler Kern asked me if I was disappointed. He wasn't called up on the kick around last week. And I was like, no, because I'm selfish and I want to keep him healthy and I just don't want that extra load on him at this yeah. point yet. That's Amen. my that's my big thing. But let me just, for anybody listening to the pod that hasn't or doesn't read Matt Doyle, just to kind of really put in perspective how good Paxson is playing, just listen to these stats. And I'm going to start with just the offensive ones, all right? So among central midfielders in the entire league, he leads the league in defenders bypassed, Defenders bypass per 90 minutes where he's almost 20% higher than the next guy on the list. XG generated from possessions in which he's involved. He's 40% higher than the next guy on the list in that category. Passes that break the opposing back line. Passes hit under pressure. Progressive passes per game and progressive passes that end in the final third. He leads the league in all of those weird, nuancy little nerd yeah. soccer stats. That's the offensive end of the field. Here's his defensive stuff. He's in the 97th percentile or better in interceptions per game, XG resulting from his interceptions, total pressures, pressures per game, ball pressures per game, counter pressures, number of times his pressures led to a turnover in 10 seconds or less, number of times pressure led to turnover in 5 seconds or less, total distance covered while pressing, and tackles one per game. I am rubbing my hands maniacally yeah. like Mr. Burns. <laughs> well, all the whole second half of that, Peter, is why you and I have been saying that he's an eight for years yes. he's not a 10 it's his and Andy box. Swift too yeah. by the way I got to give yeah. Andy Swift credit and some people even want him to be a six which I think is ridiculous but you know he's a complete box-to-box -box player in the modern system you know it's again the thing that's keeping him from being the absolute MVP of the league is the tiniest little bit on the 
getting into the box once he's actually in it. Right. I mean, no player that's in major league soccer is not a work in progress. We're talking about the tiniest little thing on a guy who might be your best player currently, potentially. I think it's hilarious, but it's getting close. Paxton's playing out of his mind. Again, there's just, the window is too small now for, cause bear halters in, uh, get my team warmed up and tuned up for the cup mode. Now he's not in looking at players mode anymore. Right. So, you know, with it, with the exception possibly of the nine and goalkeeper, <laughs> which are the two weak spots, his midfield's on lockdown, right? There's not mm-hmm. changing that. So be patient with Paxton in terms of the national team. And meanwhile, as you say, uh, I'm glad he's not leaving. I'm glad he's getting two weeks off here. Uh, I mean, off is relative. They'll still train and stuff, but um, I, I'm so excited about the back two thirds of this season with the way Paxton's playing and the way he's progressing. It's not just that he's back to form. We're seeing an improvement yeah. under this new coach. And that is so exciting because you want to see him improve from now, from now until he's 26 or 27, he should continue to improve. And the sky's the limit on the kids. So it's, I can't wait. All right. So is it just me or did he add like trying to take shots from the top of the box yeah. in the yeah. last game? Like, I, mean, I know he's done that before, but he clearly had made a decision. He was going to shoot in this game when given the opportunity. No, no coach told me for sure that he's talked to him about this very thing I'm talking about, that, that he's talked to Paxton about it. Paxton clearly knows that getting on the sheet is the thing that's going to take him to the next level. And, you know, that's what they're working on. And like, that's what yeah. I meant by like, remember two weeks ago, I said it was his best game he plays since 2019. This game was even better. It's because he's clearly trying to do this little extra part. And in a lot of ways, he's carrying the damn team. Uh, in this game, he was through the midfield. He was the only, like, if you look go back and look at the passing grid, his, it's like this gigantic fat line up through Paxton. Everybody else has got these tiny little thin lines because they basically were like, it was either over the top or through Paxton. He was the whole midfield really by himself. So. Yeah, exciting times for him. Peter, I've, uh, Paxton told me something that would warm the cockles of your heart. Oh, and uh, tell me if, what my uh, son if Buzz told is feeling me. up to it, maybe we can put your son's voice on it. But he said, "My buddy feels really good, so it's nice to be back in my natural position and not so isolated on the wing. Be able ah. to feel like, ah. like when I'm on the wing, I'm disconnected ah. from the game." Ah. And moments in the middle, you're just like always around the action and around the ball. So to draw fouls, foul people, get aggressive, and yeah, like that part of the game. Ah, oh, it's like a, it's like he's my puppet, and he's sp- and I, I'm speaking through him. I also uh, <laughs> asked him what I was, I couldn't remember what position Andy said he should play, so I asked him, and he was like. He disgustingly said six. <laughs> yeah, I think Andy is a guy that said Paxton should be at six. <laughs> I just want to point out that what Paxton just said is almost a verbatim quote of stuff that we have said on this pod all of last season when he was like evaporating yeah. into ether on the on the wing under Lucci. Everybody knew they were just protecting him. That's all. All right, all right. They were wasting him, is what they were well, doing. You know, they it did get him fired. Him. So. So uh, kudos to uh, the good Matt Doyle for taking time out of his uh, content, creating ways to uh, highlight our favorite number one wonder kid, Paxton Pomacall. <clears throat> okay, uh, anything else about the loss against Minnesota or the game coming up against Orlando that we want to discuss, my good friends? Well, uh, let's just mention that uh, in an Orlando game, I was not able to go to train this week because of some family stuff, but... Um, you know, you, I think when you have a week off and you can get your whole team in training, that you sort of all bets are off about squad rotation. So you, you would think that coach will lean back into what he considers his best 11. And I think we all know who that is for the most part. The, the only position that's in complete battle from game to game to game is Edwin and Faka. That, that position is heads up. Any given game, you could get a different outcome. It being on the road. I might tip it tiny bit to Faka, but everybody else should be pretty obvious. And for me, that includes Brandon Cervania. I guess we'll find out how deep in the doghouse he is because I, I think he's better than Seeky right now in terms of helping the team win. You think as well, this is the last game before a week break. This is the, okay, guys, run yourselves into the ground because yeah. you've got time to recover. Yeah. Well, it's longer than a week, isn't it? I mean, they don't play again. Yeah, it's two. Yeah, because they play on the twenty eighth, and they don't play until they uh, have host Vancouver on the nineteenth. 
Well, it's almost three weeks. Yeah, it's almost. Yeah, no, it's it's almost a three full uh, two. It's a little between two and three weeks. Yeah, it's a long time they've got off, and it does make me wonder. I'm I'm gonna assume Velasco is going back to Argentina, hence the the thing that he yeah. put on social media not too long ago. I guess fingers crossed he comes back. <laughs> he doesn't pull a uh, what was the what was the Eastern European guy that went home and never came back. Oh, Ned Yalkov. Yeah, yeah, Ned Yalkov. Yeah. Hope he doesn't pull yeah. a, a Ned Yalkov <laughs> on us. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring up that wound. Uh, so, yeah, they got a bit of time off, and uh, there you go. So, oh, so, so what you're saying is if he says he's got a broken collarbone, start to worry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would, my suggestion is this everybody should follow Alan Velasco on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm assuming he's got a TikTok account or something like that. And everybody just monitor it very closely over the course <laughs> of the next three weeks and just be aware of any red flags or signs that, you know, something else is going on. And we'll just see how, you know, and hope and pray that all he comes back healthy for the game against the Whitecaps on the 19th. I was going to say, speaking of Europeans, did you see that Cobra got hurt and has to have surgery? To the of the yes, team. what happened to him? I, I didn't see it, but he's a little long in the tooth, so I'm worried about him, you know. Yeah, yeah surgery. Right. I think it's a knee, I think. Oh. He got stretchered off wherever it was. I saw the pick. It didn't look good. How many How many human beings did they have to get to pick him up and stretcher him off the field? That's got to be like... Just the usual four. <laughs> like, oh, just four, okay. Right. You know, Cobra, he's made of, like, you know, super yeah. meat, and he's, mm. like... Very dense in his weight and very heavy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you got anything else you want to chit-chat about, sir? Kit stuff? No, sorry. You, you, I got distracted uh, when you said Cobra and me. It took me back to the water boy when they have the, the bit where like, snakes don't really have parts, but if they did, I'd say this was its knee. <laughs> uh, is the Orlando game the game they're wearing these goofy... Yeah. Uh, Perma blue, the whatever they're called. Things. Yeah, this weekend. Yeah. Okay. God, those are lame. The recycled Earth Day kits, whatever they are. But Earth Day is in April. Well, well they've been late right. with everything this year. Okay. Good lord. Presumably, the lack of like anything, any any noise about it meant they had big supply issues. And normally, mm. they get something that's kind of half decent looking. And this year, it's. Last year's Condivo jersey, but in the recycled material. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, that sucks. That's lame. And, and and of course, Dallas ends up getting the super lame white one. Yeah. First time they've had the light one, too. Oh, is no, it? No, they had the oh. light one last year. Did they? Yeah. yeah. Right. just wasn't white. It was like light blue or something. Right. Oh, yeah. That one was all right. A teal one. Yeah. Uh, I have something, Peter. Oh, excuse me. So, yes, yeah. Buzz, what do you have? Well, Eddie Manjoma went on Chum Chat this week. Oh, Chum Chat. Yeah, Who doesn't they, love them a good episode yeah. of Chum Chat? Well, I didn't listen to it, but the overriding comment that came out of it was that I, I can't remember whether it was Eddie or whether it was Johan that called, that compared Lucci to Estevez, and they said Lucci was a video game coach and that he focused on small things, whereas uh, coach Nico was a, was a big picture kind of coach. Hmm. And that at first that didn't sit with me because I was like, man, Nico Estevez's attention to detail is phenomenal. They micromanage everything. They go way deep on scouting and matchups and all that kind of stuff. But I think I realized what he meant. And I think this is true. And I, this is why I wanted to talk about it. You remember how often we talked about, and it wasn't really obvious until COVID happened in the empty stadiums, how Lucci was constantly directing players on the field. Move here, move here, do this, do that. And I think yep. that's what he meant about a video game coach as opposed to Coach Estevez, who kind of sits back, takes some notes, and maybe gives a big picture instruction here or there. So, you know, there there are lots of coaches around the world that micro-direct their players on the field. So I'm not necessarily going to say that it's a massive indictment of Lucci, but it, there definitely is a big style difference between these two guys. And that actually is a really good positive when the previous coach kind of down the stretch was losing everybody because he was over preaching and over instructing, this guy's not like that. They give a lot of detail and a lot of instructions, but then they get into the game and they let the guys get on with it for the most part. Now there are some other deficiencies that are showing up about maybe like subbing too late or whatever, but I thought that was an interesting comparison, at least on a macro level of the, the two styles of these coaches and how 
uh, there's some really positive responses happening because of the differences there in that regard. All right. Well, that's a the big takeaway is you need to play more football manager. Yeah. <laughs> Less FIFA, more that's football all manager. About, right? You just set you just set your formation. You don't worry about it. It all goes to shit with five minutes in. And then you're tinkering about with every player's role and position and everything for the rest of the game. So the nuanced uh, version of that analogy is that Lucci is FIFA and Nico is football manager. Other way around. No. Lucci would be the guy that you have to you get to control the players and in the game. Lucci's the one that you set up everything in football manager and let the game play itself. Oh, well, football manager, it's more people uh, are very much into, oh, I tweaked this tactic and I made this asymmetrical and I moved this guy's position sure. like three feet and I changed But then you hit play and the inside. game plays itself out. Yeah, Whereas in FIFA, still you... tinkering a lot. Okay, all right. Uh, that's that's kind of what I got from it. I mean, it's it's funny because... <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? Just <laughs> just compare it to Kimi Räikkönen when he uh, told his race engineer, "Shut up and let me drive." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my computer is low on battery, guys, so I don't want to. Yep. I don't want to get cut off here too soon or, or lose me. If I if I if I die and get lost, uh, everybody know. Thanks for listening. Um, anything else that we need to do before we shut up shop for the night? Uh, not really. Other than I want to remind everybody that North Texas is really good. Uh, they were on the, um, on, on the league's fancier built up, you know, full legit broadcast this week, which is by the way, way better than the garbage they run out normally. And the, the color commentator whose name I missed said that they are the best team in the league, even though they're actually in second place. So that was really cool. They actually rotated a ton of guys and beat the team that's in last place, even by playing like they're almost their complete second team. So um, I'm wow, telling you, nice. that team's really good. Bernard Camungo, mm. Bernie, he's going to be with this first team sooner than you think. Yes, I want to say I saw a highlight of a goal that he scored, and where they are on a counterattack, and I just I don't know who the player was or what or, or what, but the pass that he made once they got into the box to get it to Camundo, who slotted it nicely for the goal, that was uh, some yeah. baller play right there. I don't that know who passes, that was. That's Mulatto, who's the kid from uh, Bayern Munich, sort of, that they found in that world competition. He was playing in Colombia somewhere this last right. year. but okay. So he's basically here by Bayern recommending him, and, that, and, and North Texas has signed him. That guy's got a whole bunch of potential, too, and he scored an absolute banger like three weeks ago. He just hasn't been here as long and proven it as consistently as Bernard, who's like, I think he's close to leading the league in scoring, but he's certainly got like five or six goals. Um, the kid's just, he's the kid from Abilene. Yeah, the yeah. subtly, the subtle, the subtly, uh, wait, the subtle nature yeah. of that pass and the yeah. nuance on that pass is a very high level. It wasn't yeah. like some sort of like, I'm just going to try this. Like he knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. And it is a very high skill level uh, pass and I commend him for that. That dude's looking really good. Hope Cuzzo has, I think, six assists and is near the to league lead in that. Uh, Blaine Ferry is playing tremendously. They move him around a lot because I think they know what they have in him and they're trying to try some of these other pieces out. They're they're kind of in the middle part of the season where they're experimenting with other players to sort of see what they have, see who they can develop and not develop when they know what Blaine is, they know what hope is and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm super hyped about in terms of that team is Nolan Norris played his first game at center back, which is mostly he's been a left back or his whole career. He's been a left back um, with a little six mixed in, but I think he's going to be a professional center back. So this is the first game they tried that experiment. I told you they put somebody not that great, but um, so I was super hyped for that because that, that kid, I think, is a, a, a future pro for sure. Okay. Great. Everybody go check out North Texas. Yes, do. This is Enrique Granados again reminding you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Be sure to check out the new arrivals landing daily now through June. New Club America, PSG, FC Bayern, and more in stock now. And remember, when you shop Docker90.com as a listener of Third Degree, you receive 20% off your order when you use the promo code Third Degree. Some exclusions apply. Dan, thank you. Dan, Dan, the man, man. Thank you. Buzz, thanks for doing this today. I know it's been a rough day for you. Big hugs to you and your wife. 
Thanks, man. And I appreciate you guys being here. Yep. Love to you and your family. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fans. We love and adore you. And we'll speak to you next week. And be safe out there on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Paxton from the national team. Or just rest. Hell yeah. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast.